What's up, y'all? And welcome back to Black and Cold, a true crime podcast for the overshadowed. I am Nichelle, your host, and I am back this week with just an all-around very frustrating story. Um, But before I jump in, I'm just going to go through some of my usual rundown real quick. If you are liking this podcast, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you are listening from to keep up with any updates for cases that I've covered, to see any photo references for any of the episodes. You can follow BNC on Instagram, and that's at black underscore cold underscore podcast. Lastly, I do take case suggestions, so if there is one in particular that you would like to hear, you can certainly submit one in, which that link can be found in the show notes. And I've actually been getting quite a few suggestions lately, so thank you to anyone who submitted one. And if you haven't received an email back from me or haven't seen the episode you requested so far, don't worry, I got you, I received it. It just may take me a little while to get to it if I am able to cover it as I try to plan the episodes ahead. But today, I will be covering the case of a beautiful Indigenous young lady whose life was brutally and selfishly taken. We don't really get too many podcasts or media outlets that cover Indigenous victims, period. And this is actually my very first episode doing that. So this is episode number 53, and I will be telling you about the murder of Jalasia Finkley. Sometime between 4 and 5 o'clock p.m. on Tuesday, October 20th, 2020, Amanda Costa, the mother of Jalasia Finkley, went to pick up some prescription for her. You see, Jalasia had just undergone the first part of a two-part surgery hours before, so her mom was making it a priority to go and get her the proper medication. Now, when Amanda left their home, Jalasia was there. But upon her return, she was surprised to see that she was no longer in the house. She was gone. And it wasn't like Amanda was out that long or anything. It was reported that she came back home sometime before 6 o'clock p.m. At this time, Jalasia was only 17 years old and just hours shy of her 18th birthday. Originally from Mashpee, Massachusetts, Jalasia and her family were currently residing in New Bedford at this time, and she was a student at Barnstable High School. Jalasia was also a member of the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe, also known as the People of the First Light. She was very proud of her Native American heritage, and it showed throughout her social media. According to family and friends, Jalasia was known to be ambitious, energetic, and she had the most infectious, contagious laugh to go along with that. At such a young age, she knew the power and importance of education, and her goal was to ultimately become a musician. Like many young ladies her age, Jalasia spent a lot of time on her social media, 
And in an interview she did with WCTV in a segment called Meet Me at the Riverside, she talks about how on many occasions she would even sing covers on her Facebook Live. Jalasia had such a passion for music that she even wrote her own songs sometimes, and she explained that doing so helped her express her feelings. Although she was a fan of many genres of music, hip-hop and R&B were two of her favorites, and Jalasia dreamed of one day being recognized in these categories for her talent. So going back to this day in question, Amanda tried to get in contact with multiple people to find out where Jalasia may have went. Remember, it was now going into her actual birthday, October 21st, and her not making it back home to spend some of it with her family was unusual, according to her aunt, Tia Costa. But of course, there was the idea that Jalasia, who was officially turning 18 and about to be considered an adult, maybe she could have just been out celebrating with her friends and not have told anybody. But as more hours went by, her loved one's concerns turned to fear. And that was after Jalasia's mother, Amanda, received a call from the clinic informing her that her daughter didn't even show up to her second appointment. According to local station Boston 25, Amanda was also told that Jalasia's life was possibly at risk if she didn't complete her follow-up appointment. Amanda then quickly called the New Bedford Police Department after this, and she wanted to report her daughter missing. So during the beginning of the investigation, there were a few important things that were learned. It was discovered that Jalasia was last seen leaving her home getting into a Hyundai Elantra. Then, one of her friends came forward expressing to authorities that she was worried because she had stopped hearing from Jalasia as well, which was not like her. And at 17, 18 years old, even if you wanted to be a rebel or not answer to your family, that's already something. But for Jalasia to not speak with her actual friends, like her close friends, that was very, very unlikely. Now, this same friend went on to tell law enforcement that when she did last speak with Jalasia, which was on the 20th, the day that she went missing, Jalasia told her that she was meeting with a 37-year-old man named Luis Barboza, who also went by Luis Zaragoza. And Luis was not a stranger to Jalasia or her family. The New Bedford police confirmed in a statement that Luis had actually dated Tia Costa, Jalasia's aunt, and this was for some time in the past. Now, their relationship must have not worked out, but as time went on, it seems Luis and Jalasia, who I reiterate was a teenager, a minor, began to talk. Text messages between the two would later come out and reveal that they appeared to be in some type of romantic relationship. But in reality, what may have looked like possible admiration and love to Jalasia was actually really just manipulation and predatory on Luis's part, which makes this case very dark. Five days after Jalasia was last seen, the Mashpee Wampanoag tribe actually put up reward money for information about her disappearance. And they also issued a release with information about Luis, as he was a strong person of interest. 
They indicated that he may have taken the now 18-year-old outside of the state of Massachusetts altogether. Besides being troubled by this significant age gap between the two, Luis was also described by Jalasia's family as dangerous, and they knew that he had access to firearms, which, of course, was alarming. Tia Costa told Boston 25 that if Jalasia had the opportunity to get in contact with any of her loved ones, she would have. There had to be a reason that she couldn't be in communication, and Tia knew something was preventing her niece from doing so, and her family was in fear for her safety. On surveillance video that showed Jalasia leaving her home that late afternoon, you can see that she did not have any luggage or anything suggesting that she was trying to run away and not return. The Hyundai Elantra she was seen getting in, we already suspected Luis was driving it because of what her friend told the police, and it later was confirmed that he was. Luis actually rented this vehicle from Logan International Airport in Boston, and according to Jessica Hills' reporting from the Cape Cod Times, Luis Barboza moved to Florida in 2017, but he often visited Massachusetts and the New Bedford area, so I guess him doing this wasn't considered unusual. As the investigation continued, authorities were able to find out that Jalasia made a call to Luis shortly before she was seen getting in the car with him. Then minutes after she got in the vehicle, Luis turned his cell phone off, which was at approximately 5.52 p.m. on October 20th, and this obviously made him unreachable to others. So even though law enforcement and Jalasia's family suspected she was with him at this time, Luis could not be contacted or traced for quite a while because of this. Now, we know Jalasia didn't have contact with anyone as well, and her cell phone was eventually found discarded in New Bedford alongside the road on Route 140 North, which was about five miles away from her home. Jalasia's phone was discovered approximately in the same location where Luis would cut his off. So Luis was the person that the New Bedford police were clearly looking for, right? And authorities ended up getting lucky because even though he initially turned his phone off, he cut it back on a few times. And this is how they were able to keep track of his whereabouts for days. According to the Cape Cod Times, Luis's phone was activated again at 7.21 p.m. on October 20th, about an hour and a half after he shut it off, and this would have been a couple of hours or so after Jalasia got in his vehicle. And by that time, when his phone came back on, he was already over 60 miles away from the New Bedford area. He was in Hopkinton, Rhode Island, of course assumed to be with Jalasia. Luis's phone activity then showed him traveling south down the I-95, where he eventually parked up at a couple of rest stops in New Jersey. CCTV from one of those rest stops, which was in the Woodbridge Township area, showed the Hyundai Elantra in question entering this parking lot, but no one could be seen on the actual surveillance inside of the vehicle, nor was anyone seen exiting it. After spending about two hours or so at this rest stop in Woodbridge, 
Luis was then tracked at another one further south in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, where he remained there until about five o'clock in the morning. So we are now well into the morning of October 21st, and it's Jalasia's birthday, and she has officially been missing for about 12 hours, give or take. After being tracked in New Jersey for quite some time, Luis's cell phone then showed him traveling back in the opposite direction, indicating that he was going north. And at 3 o'clock p.m., this is where the Hyundai Elantra was eventually traced, reaching the Lincoln Tunnel, which connects both New Jersey and Manhattan, New York City, if you are not familiar. But after doing all of that, the vehicle would turn back around and head south again, where it was then spotted at the same rest area in Woodbridge, New Jersey, for a second time. And according to reports, this was at 3.45 p.m., and we are still on October 21st. So just to go over this again, if you are looking at a map, these movements are clearly a little odd, and it's definitely assumed that Luis didn't know where to go. He left New Bedford, Massachusetts, traveled to Rhode Island. From there, he went to New Jersey, then traveled further south in Jersey, then turned back around where he ended up at the Lincoln Tunnel, then turned back around again where he ended up at that Woodbridge, New Jersey rest stop for a second time. And at that point, Luis must have continued going south because he was later traced in Washington, D.C. And after D.C., he made his way to South Carolina, which he arrived there at 1 o'clock p.m., now on October 22nd. So Jalasia is missing for about two days at this point, and Luis's phone that was originally helping investigators tail him, eventually that ended up not helping anymore. It's not clear why authorities could not track him any longer. I'm going to say the phone was probably off. But Luis's whereabouts couldn't be located for quite some time. However, law enforcement knew he was on the go and he more than likely had Jalasia with him. Now, while all of this was happening and this large manhunt was going on for Luis, he actually began to post on social media, specifically Twitter. On October 28th, now eight days since anyone has last seen or heard from Jalasia, Luis tweeted a few things. He posted a screenshot of conversations he allegedly had with Jalasia in the past, which indicated that him and her seemed to be romantically involved. In addition to that, he then began to post photos of Jalasia. He posted one of her across from, I'm assuming him, in what looks like to be a pizza shop. Then he posted one of what appears to be him and her in an elevator together. He posted a video of him and Jalasia on FaceTime. And lastly, he posted a second video of what looks like someone getting a tattoo done somewhere. And Jalasia kind of just appears to be chilling and sitting off to the side. Strange much, yes. But according to family members of Jalasia, These photos and videos that were posted were not recent. They were all old. So it couldn't even give Amanda, Tia, nor the rest of their loved ones a peace of mind because this didn't confirm if Jalasia was currently safe. As for Luis, 
I don't know what his goal was posting this stuff. You could say he was trying to expose the quote-unquote relationship he had with Jalasia or antagonize people, knowing that her case has reached local news at that point and so many people were looking for her. I also feel it could have been him attempting to throw off her loved ones and investigators by trying to give off the impression that Jalasia was fine but the people closest to her knew better. Either way, Luis definitely had intentions behind tweeting this stuff because per his Twitter, the last time anything was on his page, activity-wise, from him, was from 2016. But luckily, law enforcement um, figured something out after some days, and they were eventually able to track Luis again, this time through his Gmail account which now showed him in Jacksonville, Florida. Detectives were able to obtain photographs of Luis at a local McDonald's there, where he could be seen online at a drive-thru, but there was no passenger in the car with him. Then, on October 30th, now 10 days since Jalasia has been seen, Luis was tracked through a license plate reader in Houston, Texas. The Cape Cod Times reported that investigators were able to obtain an image of the vehicle he was in on the I-10, and again, it only showed one person, assumed to be Luis, in the car by themselves. So, authorities at this point were very concerned for Jalasia, and to make matters worse, Luis would post to his Twitter account again on this same day. On October 30th, Luis tweeted, hashtag I-W-A-L-Y-J-F. Now, I'm going to put out there what is assumed to be the meaning of this, and I'm sure many of my listeners already put two and two together and have the same thoughts, but I will actually get into that closer to the episode's ending. So the manhunt for Luis and the search for Jalasia continued. And because this case was going across state lines, the local police back in Massachusetts in New Bedford actually reached out to the U.S. Marshals for assistance in finding them both. After local authorities were able to track Luis in Florida and his latest destination of Texas, the task force was able to locate him again, on the evening of Wednesday, November 4th. And this time, he was back in Florida with a shaved head. And again, he appeared to be solo. Investigators still discovered no sign of Jalasia anywhere. On November 5th, 2020, the New Bedford police was able to get a warrant for Luis Barboza Zaragoza's arrest. And it was charging him with not only kidnapping, but larceny of a motor vehicle. And this is because he was still driving that Hyundai Elantra that he rented, which should have been returned all the way back up in Boston by October 21st. Now, having this warrant and knowing he was spotted in Florida just the day before, the MBP decided to make their way over to the Sunshine State to take Luis into custody. But as they were on their way heading south, the U.S. Marshals located Luis first. On the very same morning the warrant was granted, Luis was spotted sitting in a car at a McDonald's parking lot in Crestview, Florida. 
as U.S. Marshals and other local sheriff deputies attempted to apprehend him, Luis would not comply, which resulted in a standoff between him and law enforcement. Luis was armed with a handgun, and per WEAR-TV, officers recall that he first attempted to take his own life, but then he pointed the gun in the direction of them. Luis died after he was shot during this whole confrontation, and it was quickly discovered after that Jalasia was not with him during this time. Luis's death was investigated by authorities, and no officers ended up being charged for it. According to WEAR-TV's reporting, this decision came after the state attorney's office says they reviewed the investigative report by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. So after hearing of her daughter's kidnapper's death, Amanda Costa was slightly relieved that Jalasia wasn't there, but there was still that fear as she still wasn't located. As everyone was learning of Luis's death, this case took another very dark turn when it came out shortly after that Jalasia was actually five months pregnant at the time that she disappeared. So the urgency to find her grew even larger. Authorities began to access information from Luis's cell phone, and this helped them not only discover more information about him as a person, but this is what would ultimately help them solve much of this case. On his cell phone device, authorities found a diary of notes left behind by Luis, and inside of this diary, he spoke in detail about the severe depression he suffered from. Luis's mother, Tammy, told the police that her son never received any treatment from a doctor for his depression, but it had a huge toll on him, which he's even attempted to take his own life in the past. Other than reading about Luis's mental state, this diary led Massachusetts state troopers to realizing the troubling reality that Jalasia appeared to no longer be alive. Luis had the words, quote, she's gone, written inside of this journal that was found. And he described how he, quote, snapped about an hour after Jalasia got into the vehicle with him on October 20th. Lastly, other evidence in his phone led law enforcement to where they believed Jalasia could actually be found. On Wednesday, November 25th, 2020, at around 12 o'clock noon, authorities discovered the body of a young female in a rural field off Interstate 95 in Felsmere, Florida. Although investigators assumed it was Jalasia, as they were able to obtain that information from Luis's phone, which gave away her whereabouts, 10 days later, on December 4th, the body was officially confirmed to be hers by the St. Lucie Medical Examiner's Office. In the Emmy's report, it was stated that Jalasia's manner of death was ruled as a homicide, and she died as a result of two gunshot wounds to the head. Jalasia was discovered over a month after she was last seen leaving her home and her body was found almost 500 miles away from where Luis was last spotted in Crestview before he died in a police standoff. So just going back to that tweet Luis last put up 
on his account, which I said was hashtag I-W-A-L-Y-J-F. So it is assumed that this is an acronym for I will always love you, Jalasia Finkley. And from what we know, it is assumed that Louise took Jalasia's life on the very same day he picked her up. The fact that Luis already knew Jalasia and her family shows, at least to me, that he was probably grooming her for quite some time. We also have to remember that teenagers are going to do whatever their hearts desire, and everything they do can't be monitored, unfortunately. I'm pretty sure many of my listeners have been at an age where we thought we knew it all, although we didn't know anything. I could definitely say I've been there before. Jalasia was beautiful, talented, and she still had a whole life ahead of her, and she didn't deserve what happened to her. With her life being so carelessly and selfishly taken, it's just something that I will never understand. This case is a tragedy all around, and if I could put any final thought into it, I would say that this is not uncommon, sadly. Many young women and men can fall for the manipulations of older men or women. And when this happens, sometimes people don't realize that manipulation is what it is. Louise was just about 20 years, two decades older than Jalasia. He did not have any business with her whatsoever. And although he can't hurt anyone else, his death still doesn't provide her family with any type of closure or justice.